Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We're going to move forward in our study of the life of Christ, moving on into John chapter 10, and we will look at verses 1 through 21, an absolutely beautiful passage of Scripture and what profound messages Jesus has to say. And those verses say, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts all his own sheep out when he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. However, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what the th- uh, did not understand what the things which he was saying to them meant. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to take it back. This commandment I have received from my Father. Dissension occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the words of one who is demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of those who are blind, can it? And you know, this uh, chapter follows quite naturally after chapter 9. We've just, seen the, we've just seen the Pharisees cast out the blind man, the man who had been born blind, and then he comes to Jesus where he finds uh, true fellowship with God. And it just perfectly illustrates uh, what it is that Ezekiel prophesied in chapter 34 when he talked about the, the sinful shepherds who destroyed the flock of God which they have taken over for themselves. They basically uh, commandeered God's flock and tried to force themselves as leaders and subjugate all the rest. These are the these are the leaders of uh, that are destroying the flock that Ezekiel talks about in the first part of his chapter, and then 
he promises that one day he will establish, God will establish a shepherd over them who will truly feed them and love them. He would be the servant David, a reference to Jesus Christ, and that he would be their God, and that he would be with them, and that they would be his flock. And so that's what we're seeing here is the Pharisees who have tried to uh, sneak in the other way rather than going through the true door. I, I think if we look at verse 6, it said Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. The people listening did not understand the words of Jesus. I, I, I personally believe the reason that they did not understand was that the concept of loving care and nurturing was foreign to the way the Pharisees generally conducted themselves. They approached things from a completely different standpoint. Because of their lack of understanding, Jesus gave the people a twofold explanation. First, Jesus presented himself as the door, the entranceway into peace and security, protection and nurturing. Those who came before could be referring to the false teachers among the Jews who led them astray, including the Pharisees. They could also be the false messiahs who arose periodically. Secondly, Jesus presented himself as the good shepherd in contrast to the hireling. Obviously, a hireling's main concern would not be the welfare of the sheep, but his own personal gain. The good shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep. Well, that was Jesus. We need also to mention that on the other sheep which I have which are not of this fold, but mentioned in verse 16. These are the Gentiles. They would also be drawn to the Lord. They also would have the opportunity to hear the gospel and obey. Ultimately, the separation between Jew and Gentile would be dissolved, and there would be just one fold. Yeah, we, we see the absolute love that the, the great shepherd, our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, has for his sheep. I think in verse 3, something that um, can, can almost, at least for me, can go, can skip over in passing, um, is that he, the shepherd calls his own sheep by name. I think that's an important piece to mention. He knows your name. Jesus Christ knows your name, knows who you are. Um, and I don't think any amount of words can do that justice, that he knows who you are, what you're facing. Um and cares about you and loves you so much um, to lay down his life for you. I think that's just, um, I, I there's no amount of words that can describe how awesome that is. The death of Jesus would be something that was entirely voluntary. He would do what he did in complete harmony with the will of the Father. Again, the words of Jesus caused division and controversy among the hearers. Some viewed what he said as lunacy and attributed it to his being possessed by a demon. Well, that was hardly a new charge. That had been leveled against Jesus already. But others said a man possessed by a demon could not work the miracles that Jesus had done. I find it interesting to see the logic that is being displayed by the, what we might call, common people. They were easy... Uh, Easy might not be the right word. They were able to draw the direct conclusion based upon the evidence that they saw. The Pharisees, on the other hand, because of their preconceived notions, did not 
really reach the proper conclusion because they did not view the evidence to be as substantial and significant as it actually was. You know, this is such a great chapter because there's something for everyone in here. And uh, maybe you're just a sh one of the sheep of the flock. Maybe you're a shepherd of the flock. Maybe you're one of God's overseers. There's something for you as well. The contract, do you want to be a hireling who doesn't care for the flock or one who uh, is like Jesus? There, I've, I've, seen it, uh, I've seen both kinds of, of shepherds or some uh, that care more about their position and will actually split the flock in order to keep power. Uh, and they just expose themselves as a hireling, one who's not come through the door and is not being like the true shepherd. The others, though, who have such respect, not only for the sheep, but from the sheep, that they don't need to be driven like cattle, but they are called. Uh, they are the shepherds lead by example, and when they speak, the sheep willingly follow because they trust the shepherd, and they uh, they know that he has the best interest for them in mind. Yeah, to, to verse eighteen, um, it's that this wasn't something that Jesus was forced into; um, that he had the authority to lay down his life to take it back, um, and the absolute love, even just to die for us, and you know is is loving enough to do so willingly though I think is um, something again that's noted Jesus notes before um, going through the the crucifixion just again um, an another important detail on the love that he has for you okay let's move forward now as we try to follow the chronology of the Lord's life and let us look at the mission of the 70 we read about that in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. And I'll go ahead and read that. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, Go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in that you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by the Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. This event seems to me to fit best following the accounts of the activities of Jesus in Jerusalem connected with the Feast of Tabernacles. John tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles and also in John chapter 10 and verse 24 of the Feast of Dedication. Some hold that the healing of the man born blind took place at the time of the Feast of Dedication. However, it seems more reasonable to me to believe that in the two months interval between the feast, Jesus spent his time evangelizing Judea and what we are about to consider took place during that interval. Because of the great need and the limited amount of time for the work to be done, the Lord commissioned 70 other of his disciples to go out into the area he was concentrating on at this time, Judea and Perea, and prepare the way for his personal arrival by their teaching. Just as Jesus had promised or had taught with the twelve, these were sent two by two, obviously for mutual encouragement and added power to their testimony. We might ask the question, why 70? I mean, we can readily understand the 12 apostles corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel, but why 70? Different reasons for the number have been suggested. For instance, many have suggested that the 70 elders appointed by Moses in Numbers chapter 11 were a forerunner of such. Others mention the Sanhedrin with its 70 members and presiding officer in imitation of Moses and the 70 elders. Still others have suggested that it was 70 because this occurred at the close of the Feast of Tabernacles and 70 bullocks were offered during that feast. The truth is that the scriptures do not give us a specific reason why 70 were chosen. In consideration of that fact, we should simply leave it to the fact that a large number was needed and Jesus chose 70 of the most capable of his disciples. I think, I think you are getting a picture of the urgency of their mission 
with kind of a bizarre statement in verse 4. Uh, Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. I never really noticed that before until now. Greet no one on the way. That just sounds discourteous a little bit. But I think what he's getting at there is don't be distracted. I mean, you got 70 people here. It's going to be kind of a challenge to kind of rally all the troops and keep them on point. And look, we've got a purpose to accomplish. It's not the time for meeting people along the way and, and catching up and all that. Keep your eyes on the on the goal. And, I mean, Jesus began this with there is, there is work that needs to be done. The harvest is plentiful. Keep your eye on the target. So I think this is uh, an example of urgency of the mission that is before us. And they were to go quickly, talking about the urgency that you presented, not making what would look to be normal preparations of a physical nature for such a journey. I mean, they were to take no money, no extra shoes. They were not to waste their time in, well, we call it extended social pleasantries. They were to trust God and depend upon those to whom they were sent for their necessities. When they came to a village, they were to seek lodging in whatsoever house they entered, first determining if the residents of that house were receptive. Finding them to be so, they were to remain there as long as they worked in that area. The disciples were not to waste their time in engaging in the customary social activities of the East, nor seeking always to find better accommodations. Whatsoever was set before them they should eat and drink, not viewing it as charity, but as wages, because the laborer is worthy of his hire. They also were to eat just what they were given. They were to be neither greedy nor fastidious. As we read the instructions that Jesus gave to the seventy, it's easy to sense the urgency and the great need that Jesus felt. Indeed, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers were few. They were given the power to heal the sick and entrusted with the message that the kingdom of God has come near unto you. They were to preach about Jesus and his work. They were to use the power given to them to substantiate what they were saying. They were to prepare the area for the impending arrival of Jesus himself. This was to be done in the cities that received them. I think verse 16 in particular um, stands out to me as very applicable um, for us, that when we go out and we look to, to teach the gospel, um, the ones that, that um, listen to what we are saying are listening to Jesus. Um, the ones that reject us reject Jesus. Um, the one who rejects Jesus rejects the one who sent him, the Father. Um, I think in, in all of it, remember this it's all about jesus and getting people to him and if people listen it's glory to jesus it's all god if people reject us they're rejecting jesus it's it's um not making ourselves the the main character if you will this is all about jesus christ now greg i wanted to ask you about verse 18 i think that'll draw a lot of attention from people where jesus says i was watching satan fall from heaven like lightning um we know that this is right near where he talks about having given these 70 uh power over the demons that they are subject to them do you have any any insight into this falling of satan from heaven 
Well, the only insight I have into that is the insight of other men that I've read after. Okay. Uh, Verse 18 is unquestionably interesting, Mm -hmm. and I found two interpretations that seem to me to be most plausible. One is that the eternal Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven when he was cast out by God because of rebellion, Jude 6. And this was a portend of the casting out of the demons by the disciples through the power of Jesus. Another is that Jesus saw the victory of his disciples over the demons evidenced by the final victory over Satan and his plans. I have seen verse 18 paraphrased in this way. You should be elated at your victory over the demons and are proud of your spiritual powers. Beware of spiritual pride. There was a time when I saw Satan himself fall from heaven owing to this sin. Also, you are overjoyed at finding that demons are subject to you. That is no great thing. I once saw their sovereign cast out of heaven itself, and their subjection was involved in his overthrow. While I'm certain that the disciples of Jesus were physically protected on this mission, verse 19 probably and contextually refers to the forces of evil. But rather than rejoice over this power they had received, they should rejoice over the fact that they were faithful servants of the Lord and as such had their names written in heaven. Did that good. answer Yeah, question? I think that's really good. I like the, especially the, the summation of what, what you said. Very good. Okay, while the leaders and the scholars of the Jewish nation had for the most part rejected Jesus and the truths that he brought. The simple, faithful band of followers who accepted and believed are indicative of the kind of people to whom the gospel appealed. The affection that Jesus had for his followers is evident in his words. While the aristocratic scholars had failed to accept, Jesus had all things from his father. The leaders did not know who the Son was, but the Father did. They did not know the Father, but the Son did. And those to whom Jesus revealed both the Father and himself could know as well as they would but believe. Such were his disciples. They had been blessed to hear and see things that many prophets and kings had desired to see and had seen only through the eyes of faith. You know our eyes are even more so perhaps because Peter writes about the fact that uh, you know people of long angels long to look into the things that you see and have not been able to but they've been revealed to you even the ones to whom Jesus says you are blessed because you see these things even they didn't have the full picture like we have today with the complete the completeness of the canon of Scripture Okay, that's going to have to bring to a close this particular episode. We are so appreciative to each of you who has been listening. We encourage you to get in touch with us. Just go to the website, www.nkcofc.com, and let us know that you're listening and ask, ask any question that you would like to have answered. We'll do the best that we can. Until the next episode, then, thanks for listening. that you may grow thereby.